Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking to Chris Fritz. Chris, do you want to say hi? Hi, I'm Chris. <laughs> do you want to give just a brief introduction, uh, let people know who you are, what you do? Um, you play a role on the core team, so talk a little about that too. Yeah, so uh, I'm on the View core team. I'm the curator of our documentation. I also work on a lot of tooling to help su- support View developers. Uh, for example, the migration helper, and I also work on the ESLint plugin to help give you nice warnings about problems before you even encounter them. Also develop resources like the style guide. Uh, and let's see, also organize events and all, all sorts of things. And just a lot of little work here and there to try to make view a little bit better, make view a little bit easier to use. I, I find it interesting that you're talking about this particular role on the Vue.js team. I know that like Google has somebody that does a lot of the outreach and uh, for Angular and Facebook, you know, in some ways similar for React. Um, but for teams that aren't, uh, you know, Vue isn't backed by a big company as far as I can tell. So, you know, the fact that they found somebody to do all of that work, usually if it's an open source project, the documentation kind of gets handled by the community because they want it. Yeah. And to be clear, when we're talking about outreach, I wouldn't say I do all of the work. (laughs) I definitely would not say that. Uh, And in fact, um, in terms of like social media presence and helping people out on uh, the chat and the forum and things like that, I wouldn't even say that I do most of the work. Uh, So Torsten, Torsten does a ton of work, like reaching out to people, answering questions. Uh, He's also like all over the issues of pretty much every repository that we have. Somehow, I'm pretty sure he has a clone. And then uh, Sarah also does like a lot of outreach on Twitter, a lot of education. Uh, right. And everybody else in the team also, also does a little bit. And in terms of the documentation too, that's not a solo effort. So I, I, I say I'm the curator of the docs and I write a lot of the docs, but a lot of other people are... It also involved in writing documentation and uh, a lot of people even from the community outside of the core team do, uh, you know, help us with like little fixes and things like that. So it's, we have a very active community that, that cares about our documentation. And I, I think it helps that the docs are already like pretty good uh-huh. when something is pretty good. People are motivated to make it a little bit better when you go to a project and the documentation is just horrible. 
uh, I think you often feel kind of disincentivized to try to help out as uh-huh. a member of that community because there's just so much work. Like, where do you even start? Yep. And, and it feels like a drop in the bucket. Interesting. So, so when you curate the documentation, I mean, what exactly are you looking for there? Is it clarity, thoroughness, uh, how pretty it is, code samples? I mean, what, what makes good documentation? Yeah, so I, I think our documentation is pretty. Uh, I usually don't have to do a lot of curating for pretty. And honestly, I'm not the best designer in the world. So I don't think I'm even the best person for that. But I do try to make sure that things are clear, that the examples make sense, that uh, within the guide, that the documentation does flow. Uh-huh. Because it, it's easy, especially with a lot of different contributors, to have the documentation start to feel just like a checklist of things like, oh, yeah, and by the way, you should know about this. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you should know about this. Uh, Rather than a coherent story, uh, rather than like gradually growing your skills and not including details that you might not know anything about. Uh, Also, like little tweaks to make sure that the documentation is searchable Uh so that people who are discovering Vue for the first time not only can read through it, but as people are going back and they want to learn something new, they can find that something new really easily. Right. And, and a lot of other challenges related to that, that um, a lot of people might not think about when they first think about documentation. Excuse me. So, for example, in, in terms of humor, uh-huh. like, we've had a lot of people uh, tell me, oh, you should try to, like, make the docs a little bit funnier. <laughs> and a, as an educator in some of my, in some of my curriculum, uh, curricula for very specific groups of people. Uh-huh. I do try to include more humor, but I find that for an international audience, uh, like you has, we have people from all over the world and it's pretty, pretty evenly distributed. It's not like 90% in the United States. And then, uh-huh. oh yeah, so some other people, you know, in a few other countries, right. Uh, it's really all over the world. Everyone, like everyone in the world, not everyone in the world, but every country in the world is using view. Uh, it seems. And humor is one of those things that doesn't really cross cultural boundaries very well. Right. And I have tried it. Like I, I, I keep, I keep trying to say, Oh, maybe this other thing, like clearly things like sarcasm, uh, uh-huh. you, you want to keep out of your documentation. Cause that can be taken the wrong way by a lot of people, even within a similar culture to your own. But yeah, even, even a, a little, you know, joke that you think would cross cultural boundaries uh, often doesn't. Huh. And then can, um, disrupt the flow, uh, of reading the documentation for a lot of people in, in the best case scenario and and actually uh, offend some people, even if it's just because they don't like how silly the docs are. Uh-huh. You know, I've, this I've is something that. they're doing at work and they, they feel they feel bad. Like uh, if someone looked over their shoulder and saw a joke. Huh. Yeah, that's true. I've seen different cultures take some of that stuff differently. So definitely worth considering. Now, you, you said something about my background as an educator. So what is your mm-hmm. background? You know, how, how did you come to this? Yeah, a good question. So I, I'm a little bit, I, I, don't know, I was going to say I, I'm a little bit different from most people, but I feel like a lot of people in development came from something else. Uh, for me personally, I used to be a language teacher. And uh, so I studied secondary education, uh, German, Spanish, and I did actually have a, a minor in computer science, although I wouldn't say it's helped me very much as a programmer. <laughs> Uh, I'd say maybe about uh, 1% of what I learned there I've actually been able to use, and it definitely hasn't even been the most helpful things for my career. 
Right. So, so what languages did you teach? You said Spanish and German? Yeah. So yeah, I, I mostly taught German. Uh, I did uh, do a little bit of Spanish, uh, like subst substituting sometimes. And I also even did some ESL, although I, I was not qualified for that. I, I technically speak English, but I, I do not know how to teach English well. Yeah. Well, um, I've done a little bit of language instruction. I speak Italian fluently, so... Um, oh, cool. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting having going, gone through, you know, I went, I did like six years of high school and junior high school French. And mm -hmm. then um, I'm Mormon. So I went on a Mormon mission to Italy and lived there for two years teaching uh, the gospel. But uh, anyway, mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting. Yeah. From that standpoint, you know, how do you, how do you help people understand how to communicate and you know, learn the vocabulary and things like that. And I find that in a lot of these frameworks, yeah, the descriptions and the things that we have that we're talking about here, you know, it's all in English, but we're still learning terminology and we're learning how to talk about what we're talking about. And so I find that, yeah, the, the, the conversation does have a lot of parallels. Yeah. And, and there are a lot of cases where the language that we used uh, could really be confusing for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially the parts that come more from computer science. Like when you talk about higher order components, uh, a lot of people will like see higher order components and have no, no idea what the heck that could be. Like the only, the only way that they might understand a, a little bit intuitively what that might be is if they're already familiar with higher order functions mm -hmm. like, in computer science. Right. So, so how do you, and so, and so explicitly explaining those things using uh -huh. simpler ter terms to where we can, and also uh, explaining that like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, these things are also sometimes called by these other names because you have those cases too, where a lot of different uh, phrases are used to describe the same thing. One thing that I wonder about a little bit, you know, I found the view documentation to be very approachable myself. Um, but Thanks. And and I haven't really noticed too much of like the over explaining that I worry about sometimes uh, happening in some of the documentation because you know you're talking about hey you know if you're new you may not understand the idea of an of a higher order uh, component or a higher order function and you know breaking down that idea I may not need that but somebody else may and and so how do you strike that balance with um, explaining deeply enough so people can understand it, but not over explaining it for the people who already somewhat understand the ideas behind it. Gosh, well, I think if I had a really like simple way to solve that problem, then I'd like, I'd have a book and a billion dollars or something like that. Because <laughs> that, that is a really hard problem. Yeah. It and is. it's not something I, I know how to solve like universally for, for every case. So I, for each individual situation, I, I, do, I do use some personas for people who are looking at the view documentation. And I, I try to think about, like, what is their process? Like, what, what is happening to them right now? You know, it's, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the things that I'm doing are, are really not that unique. And a lot of people are doing it in product development already. I, and I just right. apply it to writing documentation. Like, the, the documentation is a product. Yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't think we think and, about it that way, but it is. And, and a lot of the times, the first thing I try, despite my hard work, will totally flop. And then the important thing is just to keep iterating and collecting more information. And I also like to have other people 
look over the things that I'm writing to make sure that they make sense to them. Because it's so easy for there to be one little sentence or one little phrase that mm -hmm. just throws people off. And, and that can really derail them in their learning. Like it just, these uh, continuous little places of just adding like a little bit more cognitive load to the user. Right. And then eventually they feel overwhelmed and like they need a break and, and they, they won't be able to tell you exactly why they just know that they've, they've, they're tired. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, John Papa just joined in. John, we're talking about documentation, the Vue.js documentation. Um, Hi, John. Hey, how you doing, Chris? Pretty good. So, yeah. So yeah I spent a lot of time with the Vue docs. I learned Vue only four, five, five months ago. And I uh, spent some time in the docs before I started asking questions. Uh, I found them very useful, although there were still, I actually blogged my journey on this. There were still points where I had to go off and find like examples. Mm -hmm. uh, because like while the docs explain something and I'm familiar with Angular and React mm -hmm. and other things, mm -hmm. uh, I was like, okay, I get what they're saying, but how do you actually do that? Mm -hmm. And those are the points where it was nice to like Google something. And the funny thing was uh, Sarah Drasner works on my team. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I hear Google you more you her stuff. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> so uh, I, I like Vue. It's, it's interesting how things worked out. And I tried it in both um, JavaScript and in TypeScript. And obviously, the docs mostly, at least the time when I looked, it was all JavaScript. But it's actually fun trying to figure out how to use it in TypeScript, too. Do you guys yeah. plan on adding docs for that as well? Uh, yeah, we actually do have some documentation on TypeScript. Uh, we, we, have a, we have a page on that. But we're, we're expanding. You know, you talked about uh, wanting to see, you know, more different kinds of examples in our docs. So uh, we're expanding this all the time. And actually, uh, Sarah Dresner, who you mentioned, is working on a cookbook that will have just a ton of examples for different kinds of common problems that you might want to solve. Uh, because in our, in our guide and our API documentation, there isn't currently a place to really have just like a, a tons of examples without breaking up the, the flow of like reading the documentation. Uh, and so that we're hoping the cookbook will solve that problem. And I, I'm really glad to have Sarah working on that. She's definitely the right person for that job. Yeah, she's awesome. And that's actually what we were talking about when we started. I'm a different kind of learner. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone's got their own style. Mm -hmm. What I was looking for was uh, I'm more of a show me example as opposed to read through it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like Googling it and finding you know demos from Evan and from Sarah and from other people was helpful. Uh, one of the early things I discovered, though, is the Vue CLI, which I love. Uh, I think it's just awesome. I'm used to the Angular CLI as well. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that was interesting for me was you guys took on the persona of when I run view in it, mm -hmm. I'm then going to ask you a series of questions about what you want. Mm -hmm. And when I first started view, I'm like, I don't know what I want. I don't know if I want <laughs> Webpack or Webpack simple or Webpack intermediate template or like there were like five different yeah. uh, view CLI templates. So of course, the first three I tried were not really what I wanted. And then it's funny, Sarah recommended one to me. And afterwards, she's like, you know what, we probably should have chosen this one. And so even there, it's like, um, it's interesting because I, I get the reason why you ask the questions. But for somebody just starting, I'm not sure if they always know what they want. So I'm curious, like, why, how you guys decided to do that and uh, what you weighed when you just decided putting it together. Yeah, absolutely. So for Vue CLI, that's currently in beta right now. We, uh, we just have a single template 
So you don't have to choose like, oh gosh, which template is right for my project? Uh, instead, you're asked some questions, but it's more like, uh, what is your project called? Which uh, you know, can be up to you. Uh, and uh, also what kinds of technologies that you want to use in your project that are kind of separate from Vue. So for example, do you want to use uh, ESLint? Uh, do you want to use Prettier? Uh, do you want to uh, have end-to-end -end testing? Do you want to have unit testing? That kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And I know there was like, you we like a basic webpack or do you want a more advanced one? I forget the question was, but yeah, I ran them all. It was funny. One of them gave me like 80 files. One of them gave me like one. <laughs> I like that one, by the way, the one file one. I think it was just a script tag on the page, right? Yeah. So instead of, instead of like a single template, the, the way that Vue CLI 3 works is uh, it has a plugin system that builds more into your project and actually similar to um, uh, Create React App, uh, maintains a lot of different configuration for you so that, for example, when Webpack, Webpack upgrades, you don't have to dive into your Webpack config and figure out, okay, so how do I, how do I make this work with the, the new Webpack? You know, we'll, we'll handle that for you, and you just have to configure the things that are specific to your app. Yeah, I like yeah. that. That's, uh, that's what Angular does, too. Basically, Webpack is under the covers, and they manage the ever-changing landscape, which is amazing. Yeah, I'm curious though. You guys met, and Sarah mentioned the other day. I haven't tried it since then, but if you say you guys remember some of the configurations that we choose, how do how does that work? Ah, so with with UCLI three, yeah, there's an option to uh, create an alias for like a combination of options that you say you want. So, for example, if you know you're using like SCSS, if you want uh, unit test with Jest and end-to-end -end test with Cypress and, and a bunch of other things in every single project, uh, you can create a name for that setup. And then when you start a new project with UCLI, uh, you can just say, hey, I, I want to create a project with that template You know that, that you've created. That's custom to you. That's cool. That's um, it's very similar. I, I imagine it's implemented differently. But it's very similar to my backgrounds from. There's like a CLI JSON file with Angular those. You always want SAS, for example. You just set that, and every time it creates, it'll use SAS instead of CSS by default. Yeah. Um, or whatever, whatever things you want. Those yeah, are great because people don't, people tend to use the same things over and over again, right? Yeah, we're definitely looking around to see what, what, what other people are doing uh, and uh, collecting a lot of information from users uh, because uh, obviously, like every other framework in the ecosystem and um, some other projects have their own solutions for, for this kind of thing. And so, so we're, we're trying to learn from the best practices that other people have already discovered. Uh, and that's, uh, that's really what the yeah. UCLI 3 has been. And I love the idea of a cookbook, and I love that Sarah's going to help work on that, because that's something I think is that next evolution in the docs. We have a lot of people out there making docs for various frameworks and tools mm -hmm. that are, there's either APIs or there's like, you know, how to use this feature. But sometimes you're just like, you know, I want to figure out how do I use Vue in this case to build an app against Node Express that does X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, you know, those common use cases. I think that's where the cookbook can really help. Yeah, and there's actually one project that I, I recently published uh, called uh, View Enterprise Boilerplate that uh, walks through 
a lot of like common things that you need to do in Vue apps, uh, like walks through a lot of common setup and like how to handle authentication, uh, how to handle, you know, base components that you're going to be, you know, using throughout your app, like components that might just be a wrapper for an input. Uh, and, you know, you apply some, some custom style and maybe have a little bit of special behavior on that input. You know, if you have like a animated placeholder or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I, we are, we are doing more and more to, to try to give people those examples. And fortunately the, the ecosystem is really exploded and there are, um, a lot of, you know, books and, uh, video courses and blog posts that, that also explain how to build a lot of very specific kinds of things with Vue. And, and often uh, I think that's where people will, uh, inevitably go even after the cookbook, like if they have something very specific that they have in mind that they want to see, okay, how do you, how do you do this thing in view? Mm. Those kind of developers. It's great to hear. I think that's one of those key, not the only one, but one of those key signs of a mature framework is when you see the ecosystem. I love this page in your docs. Just a massive list of really well-used and mature community-driven efforts on view. That's a big sign to me of, hey, this thing is really coming its end to its own. Yeah, and we maintain relationships with those people too. Like people who are writing blog posts and developing video courses and things like that. Uh, those same people uh, are people we're reaching out to to develop uh, recipes on the cookbook. So that some of those like really like most useful patterns that like so many people want to see an example of, uh, we'll be able to list there and people... We'll be able to find it more easily. We'll be able to keep it up to date. Uh, and also we'll be able to link to it uh, as an aside from certain sections in the guide and also in the API doc. So I want to uh, hark back a little bit to the introduction and things like that that you have on the Vue.js page. If you go to learn um, and then guide is basically where I've gone so far to, to learn a lot of this stuff. Um, it, it seems pretty, how do I put it? Like, it, it seems like a step-by-step -step process for building these apps. And what I find is, is that once you get in and actually learn how Vue goes together, a lot of mm -hmm. these uh, different parts of Vue reference each other. And so it's not mm -hmm. just a one-way process anymore. I'm kind of creating the component and the uh, markup and all of the other things at once. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how do you get to the point where this is broken down so neatly so that I can learn it as cleanly as I do, but then at the same time, you know, once I really understand it, realize that I'm kind of following a slightly different workflow. Yeah, so to reiterate the question, just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, like when it really like th this knowledge is not linear. Like right. how do I make it linear and make it feel like it's not uh, jarring that yes. it's linear? Yeah. Okay. So uh, the answer is a lot of blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> so I, I would, I would not actually say that I am a terrifically like talented writer uh -huh. uh, for a lot of pages, uh, sometimes with even just a, a little paragraph on the docs, I might have iterated over that paragraph um, 20 different times and, you know, shown it to people and, and asked them what they think. Uh, because some things really are hard to get across without like going into a whole like 
a whole slew of unrelated tangents <laughs> that people just feel confused about at the end. Um, but you also don't want them to get to some knowledge later and feel like they're missing the necessary context to understand what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. And so really just a lot of iteration, like a lot of testing with real people and uh, collecting feedback and making it better. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I, I don't, I don't mind rewriting something 20 times for my particular personality. That, that is something that is perfectly fine for me. Whereas I think it would frustrate a lot of other people. Uh -huh. uh, so that's, I, I guess, one personality advantage I have. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the, the writer Flaubert, um, I think he had a thing where he was always looking for, uh, I'm, I, I speak poor French, so I, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but uh, le mot juste or something like that, like uh -huh. the, the, the right word. Right. And uh, he would apparently sometimes spend an entire week like crafting just a letter to a friend or something like that. <laughs> I guess people had more time those days. <laughs> yeah. Because I can't imagine spending a whole week on an email. Uh, I'd just drown. But I, I think there is a, a lot to that, you know, writing as just an iterative process. And I, I think someone else said, you know, to write is something else, to, uh, to edit is divine. Uh, but, but really, editing is, is how we do that. We, we write something poorly first, uh, but we try our best on it, and then we keep iterating. And uh, we're not afraid to make big changes, uh, big reorganization changes uh, in cases where we find something just isn't working. And, and there are still things today that uh, aren't as good as I'd like them to be. And, and right now, I'm, I'm spending about 20% uh, of my time on, on view and 80% consulting and uh, if I can have a small plug, I actually started a, a Patreon recently because I want to switch that to 80% so that I can do all these like big things uh -huh. that uh, really do require just hours and hours of uh, consecutive time. You know, it can't be done in between other things or on nights and weekends. And so I have a lot of plans to, to make the docs even better and to provide even better resources for view developers. But yeah, it, it just, everything takes time. Yep, absolutely. Well, the hardest thing to do is to explain getting started to people with these uh, frameworks and tools. While getting started might be a simple process and people can get it up and running, actually explaining it so people can understand it. We have different learning styles. Uh, it's not easy. Yeah. You know? it, and everyone has a different background, too. Everyone's coming at it from a different direction. And the questions that they're going to have, the initial questions are going to be different. Yep. Yeah. One of the yeah, reasons. Like for, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, oh, one of the ways that we uh, try to address that, you know, for people coming from different frameworks is we do have a comparison page uh, that we, uh, we, we try to like work with the people from each framework to try to see like how it compares to Vue. So that if they're coming from Angular, if they're coming from React, if they're coming from Ember, they can look at that page and get a good sense of how Vue is philosophically different. Uh, what, what kinds of things they might encounter that will seem strange to them. Uh, just to explain those things up front so that when they see something like templates, uh, they don't think, oh my gosh, what, what is this? This is, th this is terrible if they're coming from React and they're used to render functions, which you can also write in Vue. 
but that, that is a reaction that people people have sometimes when they well, see we, something. We have different. this tendency. Yeah, and in this industry, we have this tendency to make up words <laughs> in JavaScript land <laughs> that Absolutely. mean something to us. Yeah, like for example, I'll pick on I'll pick on all the frameworks, right? In Angular, we have things like transclusion, uh, and React. You know, there's yeah. flux and there's flow, and even the word props, which exists in both React and Vue land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great. They mean properties, but if you don't have experience with Vue, you're not exactly sure what those properties, what does props mean, right? So yeah. We have to learn the terminology. Yeah. So, for example, when when we uh, introduce prompts, I think we you know describe them as like custom attributes that you know, don't appear in your markup but uh, are used internally as data in your component. Uh, but uh, uh, it's easy to just skip over something like that, thinking like, "Oh yeah, I, I've known what this is for for years. Everyone else should know you know what it is too." Uh, we could, it's easy to make assumptions about. What other people are doing, and oh my gosh, even even web server uh, has so many yep. different meanings. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, is yes. that the is that the backend software that I'm I'm using to serve my application? Is that the like the physical box? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you get all these terms, and you're right. It's it's. Uh, I read a book once, and they called it the curse of knowledge. Once you know it, it's easy, and you just know it. Yeah, but then for you to explain it to somebody who doesn't know it, it's like we forgot how hard it was when we didn't know what these things were. Yeah, everything's simple just, once you understand it. <laughs> and it's not. I mean, obviously, props is not a hard concept to, to learn. And once I read the docs, I'm like, oh, I get it. Mm -hmm. But it's not one thing. It's what you mentioned earlier: cognitive overload. If you introduce a hundred new terms at once, yeah. even if they're all easy, that's that's a weight on people, and everybody has their frustration limit mm -hmm. <laughs> when they're like. You know what? Uh, I need to walk away because there's just too much new stuff here. Absolutely. And that's your job in the docs, right? Is to make that, uh, to ease them into it, to slowly give them a little bit of things and get them comfortable. And I think the docs yeah. on, your, on your site does pretty well with that, actually. It's really oh, thank good. Thank you. But yeah, when it doesn't go well, I, I'm the person you yell at. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is uh, there... We won't yell. We'll just gently nudge. Yeah. Is there a way that you can measure success from the docs? I mean, is it just how many people don't complain versus how many people come to them? Or that's a really good question. So, I unfortunately, I don't know a way to do it through something automated like Google Analytics. Right. But something I do try to keep track of is what people are finding confusing. What kind of questions are they asking on the forum, on the chat? What kind of questions are they asking on Twitter uh -huh. uh, or in Stack Overflow? Everywhere, and if a lot of people are asking the same kinds of questions. Uh, that's clearly a sign that something is wrong. Right. Uh, really, the, the best kind of feedback on a large scale is no feedback. It, people just saying, oh, yeah, I, I read the docs and now I, now I know how to use Vue. Yeah. Uh, and also paying attention to you know, how long it takes people to read through the docs. So one of the things that I'm pretty proud of is that the, the essentials of the docs really only take... Uh, for most people, about a day, you know, if they're spending their whole day on Vue, uh -huh. to go through and learn all the basics of Vue, which is uh, pretty amazing. Like, the, uh, it's, I think when a lot of people go to a new framework, they're expecting to completely start from scratch and, like, they'll, they'll, you know, it'll be a whole week until they come up with like a simple hello world example. Uh, and even then they'll be doing so many things that are wrong that, you know, they should never have in a production app. Right. And so we try to 
very, very hard to avoid that situation. And I think we do a pretty good job, but we could do better. And we're trying to do better all the time. I, I remember I think that's when, where the CLI helps out too, right? That helps at least start on right foot. Yep. To, to minimize the things that developers have to think about. Yeah. I have to say, I remember when um, Rails was that way. And I feel like it's not as much that way anymore, right? There are a lot oh, of... Oh, no, they've made you know. huge, huge improvements, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, there are a lot of moving pieces that weren't there initially. You know, they have an asset pipeline and Webpack and all these other things that are built into it. You know, they did CoffeeScript for a long time. Um, and you, you kind of had to know a lot of those pieces. And so it became yeah. less of a, oh, I can learn this in a day. Um, mm -hmm. I think Angular JS was a lot that way. And Angular... Um, proper, you know, aim, the current yeah. version of Angular is a little less approachable. I don't know if you, I wouldn't say you still can't learn it in a day, but it's definitely less approachable. React is still really small, but then you get into it and it's like, oh, but you have to pull in these other pieces to manage the other parts of your app. And that becomes yeah. complicated just knowing what it is that you think you need. And so uh, I, I wonder, is there is there a conversation that happens on the team that says, look, we have to keep it to kind of this threshold of approachability or is that not something that you all really think about and it's just something that's so far has come along in the way that view has grown oh i absolutely do have a lot of discussions sometimes heated discussions about approachability and one of the more controversial decisions that we make is that in our essentials uh, all of the examples are written in es5 so mm -hmm. for people who aren't familiar with more advanced um syntaxes of, uh, and features of JavaScript, then they don't have one more thing that they have to learn and think about right. uh, while they're trying to parse through examples. You know, if they've never seen uh, something like a spread operator, they don't have to, you know, while learning Vue, figure out what the heck is this? Is this a Vue thing? Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So you hit on something that's really important to me. And I think a lot of us forget how many concepts there are. Like I hear this about the Redux pattern a lot mm -hmm. in Vue and React and in Angular. Like uh, I was having a discussion yesterday about NGRX, which is how you do Redux in Angular. Yep. And folks are like, well, all you have to really know is the Redux pattern. I'm like, no, you in Angular you also have to do that pattern. You need to understand RxJS very well, and mm -hmm. you've got to know things like the spread operator and you know how that works and what are we all these little things that people already doing the pattern understand. Yeah, but somebody new to it's like you can't just learn. They're like, oh, just learn what a reducer is, and you're fine. I'm like, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you've got to know what all these other things are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think there is an even better balance that we can strike. Uh, so, for example, one of the things that is on my roadmap uh, with all of the documentation across the entire Vue ecosystem, uh, I'd like to have examples in ES5, like ES6 or 2015 plus, and then also TypeScript. And then people will be able to toggle uh, on the docs, like which, which examples that they actually want to see. And, and that way... I plus on that one. And that yeah. way, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, it, it's something that will take a lot of time. So hopefully I'll, I'll get more time to work on it soon. But it is something that uh, will will help those more advanced users uh, while keeping the barrier to entry low for people who are learning Vue along with uh, a thousand other things that they're also trying to keep track of. 
Yep. And you said earlier, you know, you can spend a day learning doing the docks. And uh, I'm a testament to that I, I spent a Saturday picking it up, going to the docks, building yeah. my first app. I think I built three apps with the CLI. It took me six or seven hours. And then I called Sarah the next day. <laughs> I said, hey, look at what I built and tell me what I screwed up. <laughs> she was very kind and looked at it. And she, you know, she was right. There were like three places I remembered. I took some notes where she's like, you know, this is what you did here, but you probably meant to do this. Because, um, you know, when I'm, when you're learning, you're just kind of putting it together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I, I remember that. Uh, Sarah pinged me and let me know about those things. And then those became actionable items to, to improve the docs. <laughs> yeah, because they were just misunderstandings. And, you know, you want to, I'll tell you the, the hardest part for me learning Vue, this is going to be kind of funny is I was putting together the object literal, you know, mm-hmm. with my with my props and my data and my methods, my events, and knowing, like, having to differentiate between a method and an event that they've been in different places, that confused mm-hmm. me when I did it. Yeah. And I kept on putting them in the wrong spot. And then, of course, when you put them in the wrong spot in object literal, nobody tells you there's anything wrong mm-hmm. because JavaScript's the Wild West, right? Yeah. Uh, so that was where Sarah's like, oh, you just move that over there and it works. I'm like, oh, geez, that's so easy. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, it's really things nice like to that. have someone to walk you through stuff. And yeah. I, I am we, very we grateful. We just need a Sarah or you to help everybody. We just need Sarah <laughs> well, or you to help every single person. Well, uh, <laughs> we are working internally. It's not quite ready on some cloning technology. Uh, but in the meantime, Fantastic. Uh, we, we do actually have a lot of people uh, on the core team and not on the core team, you know, just in the community, who are very active on the forum, on Twitter, on Stack Overflow, uh, on our chat, uh, helping people out when they have issues, and also on a bunch of slacks uh, all over the place. Uh, I, I belong to a few different uh, view channels on, on different slacks, and I'm always impressed at how, how happy people are to help each other out and review each other's code. Uh, I'm really grateful for the culture that we've grown. I've been very impressed, and probably the thing I've been most impressed about with view is not just the community, you guys have been all amazing, is... When I started using Vue, I'm like, where is that threshold where I'm going to be drawn into some other library? And I was able to get through building my first app and doing quite a lot without pulling in other things. Although mm-hmm. the two that kept on coming up were Nuxt and Vuex. So those are the two mm-hmm. that I kept on hearing, like, you know what, once you want to go to this next level, those are the things you want to look at. But I didn't have to pull them in. Like, it wasn't essential yeah. that they were there to make it work. Yeah, very likely. I mean, we, we also... For some things, we're not trying to build too much into Vue. Like Vue is pretty small compared to a lot of other frameworks, and that's something that we're trying very hard to maintain. Uh, but there, there are some things that like almost everybody needs that we very consciously try to leave out of the framework. So, for example, um, if you want to make AJAX requests to an API, uh, Vue doesn't include anything built in, and we don't even have like a companion library that we recommend you use uh, for AJAX requests, because that's really a completely separate concern from Vue. We don't care what you use. So you can use Axios if you like it. You can use SuperAgent. You can use whatever it is that happens to make you productive and that you're familiar with. Uh, And that's something that some people... Yeah, that's something that some people have said, oh, we'd really like that in the the core library. But for all the people who, who don't need that, uh, I, I don't think it makes sense. And for all the people who um, who already have something that they're familiar with that they'd like to use, I don't think it makes sense. And it'd also be one more thing 
for us to maintain. And that there, there'd be absolutely no reason for that. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming yeah, and from, I, but at the same right. time, there's a trade-off too to just knowing this is the view way of doing it, right? And so... Yeah. I, so I, we do we do recommend Axios for people who are just like, I don't even know what I want to use. Oh, okay. And we yeah. say, just try Axios. So we do offer a recommendation. Yeah, that was very obvious in the docs. Yeah, that was very obvious. Uh, but uh, honestly, I, Axios isn't going to work better with Vue than anything else. Yeah, and that's the other trade-off, right? Is that I've worked with libraries that they say, "Hey, look, you know, we don't maintain this. It's a separate library. It's not part of our thing." But yeah. they've built so much glue code between it that when you try and pull anything else in, it's a major pain. And so, yeah, yeah it, I, I like the the idea of, "Hey, look, pull it in, and it'll work. Pull something else in, it'll work. We're all happy with it." Yeah, yeah, and and depending on your app and the browsers that you have to support you might be able to just get by with fetch, which means you don't even have to yep. include any other uh -huh. library in order to just like get JSON from an API or something like that. Yeah, and I do go back. The two libraries I had to pull in were, I didn't have to, but I chose to pull in Axios over doing fetch because I had to support other things. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one was the view router, which I wanted routing in my application. But that to me yeah. felt like a, a comfortable thing. Just It wasn't like I had to go back in my old days when we vacillate in the JavaScript world between everything's in one framework, now everything's in 20 libraries. We go back and forth every couple of years. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> seven years ago, I built a Frankenstein framework that my buddy Dan Wally called Frankenstein, which was literally like 15 different libraries munged together mm -hmm. uh, to build something. This was back when Backbone was the king and these other libraries didn't exist. And the great thing was it all worked wonderfully. You picked whatever you wanted. You didn't like you know, what I was using for routing, which was like Sammy JS at the time, mm -hmm. he used something else. The downside was you had to understand how 15 things worked. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely pros and cons to these approaches. Yeah. So we very consciously try to decide where we want to be opinionated. Uh, for something like routing and for state management, those are two areas where uh, we can provide solutions that because they're aware that they're inside of UAP. Uh, can save you from having to write a lot of boilerplate and allow you to do some some cool things that maybe otherwise uh, would be a little bit harder. And so th those are two areas where uh, it's very important that we maintain companion libraries. For a lot of yeah. other things, it's like, there doesn't if there really isn't a compelling reason for there to be a view specific thing, then. Uh, we try to just recommend something so that people who don't know about that area can just like use that. And by the way, this is how you integrate it. Uh, and then for the people who do know, who, who are more opinionated and, and do know more about that space, they still have the option to customize. Well, I think that's the appeal of you that I've seen at least from people is that if you really want something that does everything for you and you, know, you can find something that's really integrated with a framework, Mm -hmm. That's where folks I think have tended to flock more towards things like Angular. Whereas if you want a little more, you know what? I just want the lightweight. I want to move and groove in JavaScript. Uh, I want to get yeah. going fast. Move and groove. And I, I like it. To, <laughs> yeah. I want to pick the things that I want to integrate, right? I feel like Vue is a better option for, for people who are like that. Um, this isn't about who can do a better job in the frameworks anymore to me. I think it's just three really awesome frameworks. I'm including React in there too. Uh, it's just really more personal style, you know? Yeah. And, and I think we're all learning from each other. Uh, 
like all the time. And I, like I, a lot of people like try to create this drama around all the, all the different frameworks, like oh, hating each other or something like that. <laughs> but like everyone I've met from like any of the core teams, anyone I've talked to has always been real, ha- have always been really, really, really nice. Um, and but, totally but yet, willing to collaborate. You always get asked those questions, right? Yeah. You always get yeah. asked. Which but, one's re- better, React or Angular? Tell me now. Really, it's only, <laughs> I think it's only people like in the community sometimes that can be a little toxic and hate on people for, you know, not using the framework that they happen to use. Yeah, but the issue well, that I see that comes... World, I, I can get it. Go ahead, Charles. The, the issue that I see with a lot of this, though, is not so much that, oh, well, they're being toxic to React people or view people. The issue that I see come out of this more than anything else is you get new people or people who are, you know, we've been using Backbone for the last however many years, and we've decided that we want to use something that's a little bit more modern, et cetera. It's, you know, whatever whatever reason they have for switching, right? We want to use something that's a little bit more of whatever we think we're going to get mm-hmm. from Vue or React or Angular. And so instead of having the conversation about, well, these are the pros of using this one and these are the pros of using this other one, they get all kinds of wrapped up around, well, you know, so-and-so says such and such about this framework or that framework. And it it causes more confusion than any giving them any kind of helpful feedback. And yeah, you know, I'd much rather have people use a framework that they're happy with, that they're going to get work done in, and have it be something that I really dislike, then have them use the thing that I really prefer to use. And that's that's one of the reasons that we maintain the comparison page on the view docs, uh, which, by the way, I've put more work in than any other page combined, <laughs> just because it's it's so important politically uh, not to not to say anything that that could be controversial. Uh, you know, we. we yeah. We're, we're not trying to include any subjectives like, oh, well, you know, we use we use this thing that's a little bit different. And so that's why we're superior. <laughs> you know, we're trying to to lay out pros and cons and lay out like differences in ecosystems and things like that in a, in a pretty neutral way. And I think we've done a pretty good job with that because we, gosh, I, I can't, it's been, I think, at least a couple of months since the last time someone has brought up something that they felt might not have been completely fair. And whenever that happens, we fix it. Like we're not interested in, you know, saying anything that might even be perceived as possibly not exactly true or, or maybe more of a matter of, of opinion. You know, that's, uh, I think, I think he did do a good job on that. It's been a couple months since I looked at it, but I think it, when I read through there, I'm like, oh, okay, I get where they're coming from. And maybe it's not the way I would have said it, but I felt like it was a fair, balance between the different frameworks the way you listed it one of the things on there go ahead i was going to say even if you find a case where you think the wording is maybe a little bit unfair please open an issue for that because we'll we'll gladly fix that too yeah i found um so i did this blog post series based on my experience with uh what started with me looking at it going to sarah and then i decided i'm going to try to turn this into typescript and what was funny was I took the JavaScript version side by side with an Angular app, and then I took the TypeScript version side by side. And the biggest difference I saw between Vue and Angular, as far as just again, this is a Hello World app, mm-hmm. was in Angular there's a thing called an ng module, which is a uh, it's basically a manifest of all of the, for better or worse, of components and services in your app. Mm-hmm. Um, you know all the classes and all the components. It's one place that you list them. There's no visual representation of a module. It's just 
It's the way you tell Angular, this is all the stuff I'm going to use. And the first thing people pointed out when I wrote this blog post, like, well, look, well, look at all that extra code Angular has. And I said, well, two things are important to understand here. One is Vue still tells, you still tell Vue the components you're using. You just do it in a different way. You know, if you want to use a component in another component, uh, you tell the parents, hey, I'm your child, right? This is the, I'm going to be declared inside of you. So it's a little more um, direct. And the funny thing was, the second part I was, that's where Angular started, actually, uh, the new version. I remember doing that. So it's interesting that Vue went, went and did it one way and Angular did it another way. Uh, and I personally, I wish we didn't have to tell it at all, neither one of them. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> yeah, I mean, there are, there, are, there are compromises that you can make. So, so for example, if you decide that you want all of your... Uh, components to just be automatically registered and you don't have to import them and declare them locally, then uh, you can do that with view.component uh, and yep. using uh, Webpack's required a context. Uh, but then the downside to that is all of those components will always be in your bundle, whether they're being used or not. Yes. And so it's where the bundling problems then, right? You can't do so loading as easily. Yeah. And so I only recommend that pattern with base components, like um, a component that wraps an input or a button or something like that, where you're using it all over your app. And yeah. you know you don't really wanna like import a component for like half the elements that you're using. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you, it really gets down to dependency trees in all these frameworks. Once you have the need for dependency tree in some way, and I don't mean DI, I mean, just having something know what it depends upon uh, and people today don't even remember. <laughs> I I, sh- I struggle to remember the days when we used to have an index HTML and we would list out all 100 JavaScript files and have to put them in the right order. Yeah. So we made sure that oh, the thing that needed the other thing was before it. It's so great yep, that today absolutely. we don't have to do this. And it's because of dependency trees, you know? Yeah. We need these things. I remember in Rails when I was uh, giving... I, 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 I was working on a Rails app and I didn't even know that you could list out like where you wanted them. So I was uh, trying to make them alphabetical. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so that they would load in the right order. <laughs> yep. I actually wrote a thing for uh, AngularJS where I wrote a loader. I think it was in Gulp at the time where it would sit there and it would figure out, okay, get everything that's got the dot module extension first because you need those because that defines what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then go get everything else alphabetically because if you did that, it always worked. Mm-hmm. But it's like relying on naming convention it's not oh, terrible, yeah. but it was like, oh, man. It's one more thing to remember and one more yes. thing that you could possibly mess up. So thank God for Webpack and dependency trees these days, huh? Yeah. Yep. And, and fortunately, we do have some middle grounds, like in between, you know, just like automatically registering everything and having to like manually import everything into every component. Yeah. yeah. So I have, no, it's fascinating. I'm actually really excited about where, where Vue's heading, and I love the fact that it's actually different than React and Angular. Some yes. things are similar, but I like that it's got a different approach and a different persona is attracted to it. Yeah, where there's something from React or Angular or another framework that we really like, uh, we try to pretty sh- shamelessly steal. I, there's no reason to invent the, like reinvent the wheel if someone else exactly. has already invented something that has worked really, really well. Absolutely, and I, I think I think really to to a large extent every framework does that. You know, there are some things that are view specific, but um, like none of us invented you know HTML. <laughs> 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 We're all using HTML instead of you know some uh, completely foreign 
uh, syntax that happens to compile down to HTML. Like even JSX is meant to sort of look like HTML. Yep. I do think you guys were like the first ones to successfully, really successfully create SFC though, the single file component. While you oh, could yeah. do it in the other technologies, I think in Vue it works the best. Oh yeah, I, I love our SFCs, uh, yeah, our single file components. Uh, so for those who, who might not be aware, that's when you have it, your JavaScript, your CSS, and your HTML all in a single file. Uh, and it's just beautiful for organizing your components, yeah. And, and to be fair, have... I think the reason it all works great is Vtour, the extension for VS Code. Mm-hmm. I mean, without that extension, it would basically be like using Notepad, right? Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, you need syntax highlighting. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, but, what the heck is that thing? <laughs> but, but even before Vtour, uh, you know, there was a way to just tell your editor that, like, by the way, treat.view files as HTML files, and it would work. Yeah, uh, yep. it would it would mostly work as long as you didn't want uh, something like uh, stylus instead of regular CSS uh, for your CSS and things like that. Yeah, I have a couple more no, questions nice. about the docs. One is is if so, when you release a new breaking change into Vue, what's your process mm-hmm. for updating your docs? Got it. So it, there'll be some cases where well, if there's a breaking change. Yeah, or just any change that's going to affect the way that you build your view app, you know, so it precipitates a change in the documentation. So do you coordinate the releases or, you know? Yeah, so if there's if there's something that, uh, you know, is just an added feature, then uh, we'll note that in the documentation and we'll say, like, it's only in, you know, 2.5.3 plus. Mm-hmm. So that right. people who are using previous versions of view... Uh, we'll know if I actually want to use that, I have to upgrade. Uh, if it's a breaking change, like if it's uh, a major version bump, then uh, we just completely rewrite everything <laughs> because we've probably made a lot of other breaking changes. But right. we, we, haven't, we haven't really needed to make any, um, any breaking changes for a long time, apart from you know, those inevitable but rare cases where there's some behavior that's a bug that then like some people rely on <laughs> and then we fix it. And because they relied on behavior that didn't make any sense, uh, they need to update their app. So for, for those cases, we usually don't make any kind of updates to the documentation, but we will note it in the release notes. Gotcha. Because uh, we're really trying to make it work the way that we've described it already working. Right. The other question that I have is if people want to contribute to the docs, I'm assuming you have a method for doing that um, that goes into some kind of build system that you know spits it out on the website. Do you want to just explain how that works? So let's say that I find a typo in there, you know, you spelled mm-hmm. my name wrong or something. And so I, you know, do I do a pull request somewhere or do I log into a system somewhere or do I email you and say, dude, it's wrong? How does that work? <laughs> So please don't email me and say, dude, it's wrong. Uh, we, we do have a system for this. Uh, on every page of the docs, we have a link to uh, create a pull request or open an issue for the documentation. Okay. And so if you do see a typo, uh, yeah, definitely feel, feel free to do that. Uh, the, for most of our repos under the Vue.js organization, we have a little bit more formality around like submitting issues. But for the docs, I've purposely kept that out of submitting issues and PRs because I 
I want the barrier to entry to be very, very low. And even if someone submits a PR that is not what we want, it still is an indication that there's a problem and I want to keep collecting that data. Right. And so, uh, yeah, just submit a PR and uh, I'll look at it and then I'll merge it. And then, yeah, th th that's kind of it. I, I, on the back end, there are some other things that we do to try to, you know, make our work a little bit easier, but that's all that users have to think about. Makes sense. Okay, one more thing um, in the documentation, and I find this interesting um, because with uh, a lot of the other systems that I've used, uh, they don't have this as part of the official docs, but you do, and that's a style guide. Um, and I know mm, yeah. some some other systems are adopting adopting it now. Um, I'm pretty sure that John's been involved in you know a semi official style guide for Angular, for example. Um, but yeah, so how do you pull that together, and how do you? I'm trying to decide how I feel about the framework dictating its own style guide. <laughs> well, we are we try to be very careful about what we dictate. Uh, you know, we we don't want to you know, have opinions on how people are writing their JavaScript, for example, like whether you're going to use semicolons or not. Like Vue's going to work no matter whether you use uh -huh. semicolons or not. So, so, so those kinds of things uh, we never want to have an opinion about. Right. But where it's specific to Vue and where we do find that uh, adopting certain patterns can help people avoid errors, uh, can help people uh, build apps uh, with a little bit less confusion sometimes or right. uh, build apps just in a more consistent way, then we think that's a, a good idea, you know, so that when you're looking at, when there are multiple different ways to, to do something, when you're looking at examples from all over the web, you're still used to seeing things in a way that, that makes sense to you. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that, that you're used to. And we actually have three different sections in our style guide. Uh, this is another document that I reorganized so many, so many times. <laughs> this one was a little <laughs> bit painful. <laughs> uh, so we have error prevention. We have things that are, are strongly recommended. Uh, so th those are patterns that we've noticed, uh, like just will make you more productive or will like make it easier for you to build view apps. Mm -hmm. And then there's just recommended, which is, uh, you know, there are a lot of different equally acceptable options. This is what we recommend as a default and we don't recommend straying from it unless you have like a, a good reason to. And for everything except error prevention, you know, we add a little caveat that, yeah, if you want to do something different, just make sure that you have a good reason. Right. And uh, the style guide also uh, hooks up to, not hooks up, but uh, we've collaborated uh, with the ESLint plugin to make sure that there are also three different sections uh, of rules in the ESLint plugin. So if you just want to make sure that like ESLint parses view stop right, then you can use the the base config. If you want to just catch errors, you can use the essentials. If you want uh, the the things that we strongly recommend and, and most people find uh, makes them a lot more productive, then we get strongly recommended, otherwise recommended. And you can also, you know, just pick which ones you want manually if you decide to. Awesome. So that's completely up to users to decide 
what they want to enforce and how. And even for a lot of our rules, we include options to allow people to enforce a rule that is different from what we have in the style guide. So we're really not we're really not that opinionated. We're not getting mad at people who are writing apps in a different way than we have in the style guide. We're just trying to give them the tools possible uh, or the best tools possible so that they don't have to think about how they're writing their view apps if they don't want to. When they want to, they have the option. And when they don't even know how they're supposed to write view apps, like, well, like what would be a good way to start? Uh, we give them some good defaults. Makes sense. All right. Well, is there any kind of final word you want to give on this before we do picks? For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So I, I would really like to plug my Patreon, which I just launched this week at patreon.com slash chrisviewfritz. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get to the point where I can work on view 80% of the time and I'll be able to make a ton of awesome changes, some that I've talked about here, others I talk about on the page. And let's see, what else is, what else is coming up? I'll just leave it at that. That can be the one takeaway and I'll start thinking of some picks. Awesome. All right, John, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I'd, I'd say the biggest thing is uh, a couple of video series that some of my teens are putting together. Uh, one of them is called Five Things, which is up on YouTube. There's a new episode every Wednesday. It's a five, six minute video where we talk about five things, but the latest things in JavaScript. Uh, Burke Holland and Simona Coton and some other folks, uh, myself and Dunham. Going to get Sarah on there too, Sarah Dresner. So check that out. It's called Five Things. Just follow me on Twitter, John underscore Papa, and you'll see him each week. And the other one is uh, VS Code. There's uh, a monthly release of VS Code every month. And I realized recently, not everybody's using the Insider's edition of VS Code. Uh, I highly recommend it. They give you a, basically a nightly update. You get like five of them a week. Usually they take the weekends off. What's great is you get to see the latest, newest features in those builds. Uh, and I've been using the Insider's exclusively for two years since it came out. Uh, it's been extremely stable for me. But the cool thing is you get to use the new features as they come out, as opposed to waiting for the full release at the end of the month. So I'm actually on Insiders out. too. Yeah, you like it? Yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, like they just added a bunch of nice features. Uh, I've had it for a month now, but it just came out of the official stable, the, uh, the multi-terminal thing, where you can have side-by-side terminals mm-hmm. uh, in there. So a lot of those things, you'll get those uh, you know, anywhere from a month to a month and a half in advance if you use the Insiders. Yeah, we have, we've had Chris Dias on the show a number of times, and that's essentially what the, the team building it uses. So if you're worried about stability, don't. Um, I mean, there might be some hiccups, but um, I mean, if, if there's a problem, they're probably going to run into it themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. And by using insiders, I've run into a few problems where generally I'll just go to GitHub and open an issue for them, which is what they want. You know? yep. And then they just fix it in the nightly build. So that's great. 
Yep, absolutely. Um, I'm going to chime in here with a few picks. So um, Wednesday night I was feeling pretty burned out. Um, what I didn't realize was that part of what was beating me down was this cult that I have. And uh, I'm, I'm heavily medicated, which is why I can still breathe and talk. Um, and hopefully I don't sound too terribly funny during this episode. But um, I went and saw Black Panther, which I thought was a, a pretty fun movie. Um, I mean, it's a Marvel movie. So as long as they blow up enough crap and the plot isn't too lame, I'm pretty happy with it. And so I was pretty happy with it. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, it kind of hit that same spot that a lot of the other Marvel movies uh, have and of course, you know, the Black Panther had his uh, cameo appearance in um, Winter Soldier, I think it was the Captain America movie, or, or was Civil War, uh, Avengers Civil War, anyway. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so he was in that, but um, anyway, kind of fun. Um, I, I did pick apart some of the plot points, but uh, you know, overall, it was it was a decent movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, on par with the other Marvel movies. So I'm going to shout out about that. And then um, I'm also going to shout out. I mean, we talked a lot about documentation and stuff. And I set up a forum. And I'm going to start posting there just on some of the stuff that I'm working on. So um, as we speak, I'm finishing re-recording my Get a Job course. And so I'm going to start posting uh, career advice on there. Um, I'm probably going to dig in after that to uh, code automation and processes. And so I'll be posting all kinds of stuff there about that kind of a thing. Um, and I really want to start conversations there, but I think I need to start some of the conversations before we have other people really getting involved. So if you're interested in having discussions about code, and I'm going to keep my stuff fairly general. I mean, I'll probably throw things in there about Ruby or Angular or Vue or React as I'm using them on my various projects. But a lot of my focus is going to be on the stuff I'm teaching in these courses. And uh, one of the things that I really want to do is pull together sort of a guide on how to do code automation. So we're talking continuous integration, continuous deployment, um, automated code review type things with static analysis tools and things like that. You know, so, so you automate away a lot of this stuff. You automate away a lot of the, the pain around testing. So if you have a test, it gets run, you know, and you get feedback in a timely manner. Um, you know, deployments are a, a pain for a lot of people. And so, you know, why make it a hassle? Why not just make it a standard thing that's kind of scripted out and, and happens the same way every time, um, you know, and why not run a process so that um, before it deploys, it does a test deployment on a test system and make sure the rollback doesn't destroy anything. You know, it's just stuff like that. So um, lots of thoughts about that. And uh, then what I want to do is I want to put together guides for each of the frameworks and languages that we cover on DevChat. So that's Ruby, JavaScript, uh, React, Vue, Angular, um, iOS, and um, I'm looking at starting an Elixir podcast, so stuff there too. So anyway, um, if you're interested in any of that, I will be posting there. I'm also going to be posting blog posts on devchat.tv. And finally, I just updated the layout on devchat.tv, and I would love feedback. So if I miss something, if there's something you want to see there, um, please come let me know. Chris, what are your picks? Okay. So if you're into sci-fi, uh, I definitely recommend Children of Time. It's a, a novel where, gosh, how much do I want to give away? I, I would say, I don't think it's a spoiler to say it's, it's sort of dystopian, but it's not depressing. And it is a book where you may find yourself 
better empathizing with spiders than human beings. And it explores an alternative uh, evolution of intelligence that you, you might really enjoy. I, I highly recommend it. If you're into sci-fi, that is a little bit more depressing. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, was uh, I, I think it, it wasn't published in Russia for a long time because it was considered too depressing for the Russian audience. So to mm -hmm. uh, take that for what it is. Uh, it's called Blindsight by Peter Watts. It's not new, uh, but it's awesome. And you can actually read it for free online on his website. Like uh, something with the publishing went wrong. And so like it wasn't in books, the bookstores when it should have been and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So he just gave it away. Uh, and it's such, such a great book that explores uh, sort of the meaning of consciousness and, and whether it's an intelligent or whether it's uh, actually required for intelligent life and different right. kind, again, exploring like different kinds of life that could exist in the universe. Uh, great stuff. I've also been watching uh, Queer Eye lately, the, the new Queer Eye on, on Netflix. And I strongly, strongly recommend it. I almost every episode makes me cry. Uh, I love how they're like uh, affirming, like how, how helping people like live the lives that they want to live and, and helping them like redefine in a healthier way, like what masculinity means to them. Uh, it's so, so awesome. Uh, I strongly recommend it. Just give it one episode. You'll know whether you'll like it after one episode. Uh, and then one final thing is that ViewConf is coming up at the end of this month. So if you haven't already registered, I strongly recommend checking it out. Where? That's, that's ViewConf US in New Orleans. Oh, yep, right there. I'm putting on an online event for React developers that week. But I would love to come if I could. And New Orleans is awesome. So, yeah, definitely check it out. This will be out. my first time. I've never been in New Orleans before. Yeah, fun town. Go go see a cemetery if you get a chance. Just walk through. They're, they're a little different from the, the way they are in the rest of the U.S. Interesting. I, I've heard a lot of advice about things I have to see, and no one's told me that yet. So yeah. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. That sounds interesting. Yep. All right. Well, Chris, if people want to see what you're doing these days, or, you know, usually that's face, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or a blog, or yep. anything like that, where do they go? I'm at Chris V. Fritz everywhere. Um, it's uh, C-H-R-I-S-F-R-I-T-Z, and then the V, letter V in the middle. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on GitHub. Uh, that's pretty much pretty much everywhere that I am that you'd probably care to find me. Awesome. Do you want to share that uh, Patreon link one more time too for people who are looking for that? Yeah, sure. That's uh, patreon.com slash chrisviewfritz. Mm -hmm. uh, the V doesn't actually stand for view, uh, but it, it, in this case, we'll, we'll say it does. You could file uh, a little bit of paperwork and make it that way. I, I could. I I think some people in my life would question some of my decisions. Uh, and also, <laughs> I feel like at that point, you've got to use Vue forever, right? That's right. <laughs> like, what if I what if I stop doing front-end development? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'd have an identity crisis. There you go. So, patreon.com slash chrisviewfritz. And one library that I did mention uh, for a lot of different examples that you can see for how to build uh, enterprise Vue apps. Uh, that's uh, github.com slash Chris V. Fritz. 
slash view dash enterprise dash boilerplate. Ooh, we'll have to get you on to talk about that. Ooh, sounds good. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, Chris, for coming. Uh, We'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will catch everybody in another week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.